Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Exodus 32, verses 7 through 14. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how self-naked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord as God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will make multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring to his people. This is the word of God for the people of God. While Felicia was reading that, <clears throat> something happened out here that caused me to kind of smirk and laugh. And I realized that um, while I was doing that, um, the, what Felicia was reading was about killing. <laughs> so if you're watching this video, I don't know where Evelyn uh, you know, had, had the video camera. I think it said, why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains? And if the video doesn't show the people out here, but I'm thinking what it shows is me going, <laughs> yeah. I was laughing at Connie. <laughs> right? She dropped her bulletin and went on the floor just to, you know, for the people um, that are going to be watching this later. <laughs> I just felt like I had to kind of justify that right there, the odd things that happen during worship. Um, listen, when it comes to um, just how we understand who God is. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you, think, do you think it matters how we understand who God is? Yes. Yeah, it does matter, right? Um, and because God is in relationship, God is person, and if you think wrongly of God, then he should be like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, you're, you're thinking wrongly about me, right? Um, so, and you don't like it when people think wrongly about you. I, I don't like when people think wrongly about me, or um, especially when it comes to my character um, that's inaccurate. It, it, it offends me, all right? And what I'm getting at is we, we um, when we grow up in the church, most of us today have grown up in the church, and we were taught a certain understanding about God and his characteristics, right? Um, and what I'm getting at here is like characteristics like God is sovereign. That's one you hear. God is all powerful, right? Um, how about God is omnipresent? He's, he's everywhere. 
All right, and then you come up with, and then when you're reading the scriptures and you have this assumption in, in your mind and you come across passages where it says like, well, the Holy Spirit went ahead to search out a place. And you're like, wait a second, I thought God was everywhere. Shouldn't, shouldn't, you know, what does that mean? That he's everywhere, but now he has to go out and search out a place for the Israelites. Isn't he everywhere? Or um, God searched my heart. Well, why does God have to search your heart if God knows everything? You know what I mean? You, you, I'm not challenging that. But what I'm saying is when you are raised with a certain understanding of who God is without examining the scripture yourself, okay, you're going to come into some conflict and some tensions within the scripture. And you're going to have to work those things out. Well, today, uh, we're going to be talking about this, this situation here, um, and it addresses the whole thing, the notion of God changing. Does God change, right? And we're gen we grew up in a church. I grew up with the um, understanding that because God knows all things, his mind is made up, and therefore God does not change. You see that kind of formula kind of falls into place, okay? Um, and we're going to be talking about this today. So I'm hoping today you will leave here with a broader understanding or at least a more open perspective of certain portions of scripture that speak and you allow them to speak for themselves about God, okay? And then you start, maybe you'll leave today more confused. That's actually kind of a cool goal of mine because it gets you questioning and thinking. What I'm not going to do today is tell you what to think. I, will, I, I try not to do that ever, okay? You need to think for yourself, okay? I'm trying, what I'm getting at is don't be spoon-fed, all right? Don't be spoon-fed. So we're going to dive into this today. So God knows all things, his mind is made up, and therefore God does not change, all right? So there are actually scripture passages about God not changing that are supported in the scripture. Um, and one of them is today's scripture sentence from Malachi chapter 3, 6. And it's in the bulletin. And it says, for I, the Lord, do not change, right? Okay. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, have not perished, all right? Let's talk about that for a second. Because God does not change, these people are not destroyed. And there's a reason for that that we're going to get into. But have you ever heard about... Uh, when, have you ever wondered the notion like, what if God decided to um, just one moment, got tired of everything, snapped his fingers and just started all over again? Could he do that? That's a question that I've wondered in the past. Maybe you've wondered before. God just got tired and he just like, eh, forget it. I'm starting all over. Can God do that? Okay, so one instance right here, we're worshiping. God snapped his fingers. Next thing you know, we're all gone. Can God do that? Okay, well, it says in this verse, because God does not change, that will not happen. Does that make sense? We're going to dive into this verse a little bit more in a second, but listen to it again. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. He's talking about the children of Israel. We're going to discover why in a moment that is, okay? Well, other verses that's, um, that talk about, that support the notion that God does not change is like Numbers 23, 19. That reads, God is not a human being that he should lie or, or a mortal that he should change his mind. So it says God does not change his mind, and the one we just said says God does not change. All right, you see what we're getting at here? But then, 
Here's the but. But then you come across scripture like Jeremiah chapter 26, 13 that reads, Now, therefore, amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will change his mind. It says it right there. He will change his mind about the disaster that he has pronounced against you. And today's scripture um, from Exodus clearly states that the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. So what is it? What, what is it? Can God change his mind or not? God, do you change your mind or not? Because the scriptures are saying two totally different things here. Well, what I want to do today, um, and I already addressed this, I, w- I want to help you with this tension because I will tell you what's not go- what, what is not going on here. The Bible's not contradicting itself here. And a lot of people um, who study, who are interested in like Judaism or Christianity, they come across things like this and they, they, um, they, they don't think it through. They take it for what it is right there and they say, well, it says it right there and therefore there is a contradiction because it says something else elsewhere. Okay? And then they abandon the search altogether and do not go any further. But what they haven't done is thought things through. They haven't asked serious questions, okay? Um, and hopefully, I, I, will, I will show you that the Bible doesn't contradict itself, but at the end of the sermon, you'll understand that in a sense, in a sense, God does not change, but in another sense, God can change, and he does change, all right? Sound confusing? Yeah, try putting the sermon together, <laughs> all right? I'll walk you through this. We'll, we'll, I'll hold your hand through this, okay? Listen, the general belief, all right? This is the general belief, okay? Um, that within Christianity is that God does not change. And that it, that's based on scripture passage like Ma- Malachi 3.6 that we just went over, okay? Again, it reads, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. So God himself is stating with these words to his beloved people that he does not change. Let's start there, okay? Well, the mistake that many tend to make is reading verses like this and not considering things like why God is saying this. The moment you say, God, why are you telling me this that you don't change? Is there a point to what you are making here, God, by saying that you don't change? And what I'm, what I'm warning you against is like reading passages like this God does not change, and in developing an entire theology and stamping something on God because you just read a couple words out of their context, all right? Context is very important here because when you read this verse within the situation, in the following verse, God refers to the people's ancestors and how ever since he entered into a covenantal relationship with them, the people didn't live according to God's ways, and still God did not destroy them, which was evident in the fact that they were still alive and living in Jerusalem. Even after they were exiled from the land, God brought them back into the land, and they are still a people. They were not destroyed. And that's pretty big. And that's the key factor here is that God didn't destroy them because what? He made promises to their ancestors that he intended to keep. We believe in a God that does not break his promises by going back on his word. So it turns out there is something God cannot do. God cannot break his promises. Amen to that? Because God is trustworthy And he's true to his word. And he is not capricious 
or fickle. And that is so important. Well, when did this promise take place? Way back in Genesis 12, chapter 12, right in the book of beginnings, God made a promise to Abraham that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Could he fulfill that promise if he destroyed his people and did away with them? No, he couldn't do that. God kept his promise. And therefore, God does not go back on his word. In this sense, God does not change. In this sense, it has to do with God's character, doesn't it? He has a true character. Again, he is not capricious and fickle. So, how, how does God not change? He does not change in character. God will always be, have the character and be associated with love. God is love. Compassionate. Patience. Full of grace. Willing to forgive. God does not change in those characteristics. So, in this sense, God does not change. So scriptural context is really important in how we understand who God is, right? So what's going on with our scripture passage today where Moses has apparently changed God's mind? Because if you had no scripture whatsoever, you just had this portion of scripture to go with to tell you about God, all right? And you didn't have numbers, you didn't have Leviticus, you didn't have the New Testament, you didn't have anything, but you had this portion of scripture, God changes his mind. If you let this speak for itself, so we have to wrestle with that. So what is going on here where God said, where Moses apparently changes God's mind? Well, this verse is a little trickier um, to deal with, um, but here's what we're working up to, okay? So I don't lose you in the process. I don't believe that Moses changed God's mind here. He didn't, okay? Maybe elsewhere in scripture you can change God's mind, but not in this case, okay? Here's what I do believe. Something entirely different is going on here, and, and it's masked. It's hidden behind the notion that God changed his mind, okay? So we need to put on our thinking caps here. The situation that is occurring in today's scripture occurs after the Exodus event when God led the people out of Egypt. We know that, right? The parting of the sea. He leads them through the wilderness, and they end up at Mount Sinai, okay? In the scriptures, you'll see Mount Sinai like Mount Horeb, is, it's the same mountain. It's the mountain of God, all right? So the people are now at, the, at Mount Sinai. They've received, they, they've heard the Ten Commandments, all right? And after hearing them, the people said, yes, we will obey your law. We will enter into covenant with you. So now the people agreed to God's laws, and they're going to follow them, okay? And so Moses goes up the mountain for 40 days communing with God, trying to ga gather together these commandments and other things. And while Moses and God are on top of the mountain, the people were below, and, be and, and Moses was, and he hasn't returned yet. So what do they do? You know what they do, right? What is it? Someone help me out, because I forgot. What do they do? Yeah, they, they make, they make a, an idol, okay? And apparently they make other things too. I want to teach you something about this idol because you have to wonder where, where it came from. You know, um, they came from Egypt, okay? Um, and a lot of times we think about the Israelites departing from Egypt and we only think about the Israelites departing, okay? Well, there are other people that left with them, other nations, you know, other, um, other people that were oppressed by the Egyptians, and then you got to ask the question, what, what is going on with Egypt's economy at this time? It was just decimated, right? So if you're a smart Egyptian, you're saying, if I stay here, there's nothing to eat. Okay, there's nothing for me. We have no economy. But if I leave with the Israelites, right, 
okay, then I have a chance of survival. Besides, it looks like God is on their side and not ours. So a portion of the people that left from Egypt with the Israelites were Egyptians, okay? So in, in Egypt, they had this popular cult called the Aptus Calf Cult. Okay, and they practice that in Egypt. So by the time they get to Mount Sinai, Moses Moses isn't showing up. They you know, and they don't know what's going on. So these so what happened was this Aptus calf, calf cult came up, okay, and other and other things. Something really interesting that you know we, these things have to come from somewhere. They didn't just say, hey, what do you want to do? I feel like well, I feel like making a golden calf. <laughs> Sounds kind of cool. Let's do it and worship it. Now there was a, there was already a, a presence of that going on. Okay, that God was trying to work on. So that's just a side note there. But while Moses is on the mountain, this is happening. Okay, and of course God is fully aware of what is happening at the bottom of the mountain. And guess what? It angers him. Why wouldn't it? They just agreed to follow him, right? They entered in a covenant with him. And only 40 days later, they're doing this. That's pretty bad, if you ask me. Okay, that's like telling someone not to steal and then they go out and 10 minutes later they're stealing something. Okay, all that training, you didn't listen to me. But that's what's going on. And it angered God so much that he wanted to destroy them, get rid of them. And during this dialogue, this exchange between God and Moses, God says several things that are key to understanding what's really going on in this passage. Okay, first, God tells Moses to get off the mountain. Well, if God, get, if, you've, if you ever, go, when you get into an argument with someone and you tell them to leave, okay, you're then alone with your own thoughts so you can think the way you want, so you can do what you want, your mind is made up, right? So if your mind is made up, the first thing you want to do is, is get rid of the one person that can change your mind, right? Get out of here. So that's what's going on there. God says, get off this mountain, go down from this mountain, and then he refers to the people as Moses' people and not his own. You ever do that? You're a child. Do you know what your son did? Right? You do that. You disown that person when you're mad. You come in the door. You know what your kid did? Oh, like, oh, now that he's done bad stuff or she's done bad stuff, suddenly they're mine. Okay? But when they're good, they're always yours. Right? That's what's going on here in this passage. Moses, and God calls them Moses' people, the people that you brought to my mountain. I didn't bring them here. Okay, so that's, that's what's going on there. So he, God disowns the people by saying that. Second, God tells Moses to leave them alone so he can destroy the people and start over again by making a great nation out of Moses. That's pretty tempting, right? So Moses now has a decision to make, doesn't he? Either get off the mountain, let God destroy the people, and then God will make a great nation out of Moses, or stay on the mountain and intercede on behalf of the people below so that they don't get destroyed and turn down the offer, the opportunity to be the father of a great nation instead of his great ancestor Abraham. This could be all mine. So if this were a television series, right? Would this be a perfect time to maybe cut the episode and wait till next week? Okay, you'd be wondering, oh, well, I wonder what the next episode's gonna bring. Does Moses go off the mountain or does he go, or does he stay on the mountain? So that's what's going on. That's key to actually understanding this verse. What will Moses decide? 
And God is wondering the very same thing, okay? Basically, God's testing Moses right now. Are you going to go off the mountain, or are you going to stay on the mountain? Think about that for a second. Does God know? I'm not going to answer this question for you. You have to answer it. Does God know if Moses is going to go off the mountain or stay on the mountain? If he knows, why test him? Okay, but he is God. Do you see why I'm saying that there's tensions in Scripture that you have to wrestle with as a people? I'm not going to wrestle with them for you. You have to do it yourself. So when you're reading this, ask that question. So God is wondering, he's like, what is Moses going to do now? If Moses does A, this will happen. If Moses does B, that will happen. But think about this. If Moses considers the offer and he goes down, the, down from the mountain and lets God destroy these people, and then he says, yes, God, make me into a great nation, that says a lot about Moses, doesn't it? That says a lot about his character and what kind of leader he was going to be. If he allows God to destroy the people and he leaves the mountain, then Moses isn't really a loving leader, is he? He doesn't care about the people. If Moses goes off the mountain, he really doesn't care about God's character and what people think about God, right? Because if he allows God to destroy the people, then what do you think people will think about God? First, you decimated the Egyptian God, okay, and you decimated their economy. You took away their firstborns, and then you took the Israelites, okay, and you brought them out to the wilderness and brought them to this mountain to kill them. That's not a loving God. That's evil. So if God goes off, if Moses goes off the mountain, that's what people will think about God. People will think God is a monster. If Moses accepts the, goes off the mountain and accepts God's offer to make a great nation out of him, then Moses is all about his own glory. Not God's glory. Do you see what happens if Moses leaves the mountain? But if Moses stays on the mountain, then it shows that he has a heart for God's people. Even though they've messed up, he still loves them. If Moses stays on the mountain, it shows that he has a heartfelt concern about how God will be perceived. He is a loving God who does not desire to destroy people but to save them, even after they have transgressed against him. With this golden calf incident, he is a forgiving God. If Moses stays on the mountain then he can remain, remind God that these are your people, not mine. They're God's people, not Moses' people. And if Moses stays on the mountain, he turns down the offer for God to make a great nation out of him and gives up his own glory so that God can have the glory. These aren't simple matters here. And I bet you, because we are raised with this story, okay, we never really examine what is actually going on in this story here. And by staying on the mountain, Moses shows a posture of humility before God. In today's scripture, I believe that God is testing Moses to see what kind of heart he had. Because up to this point in the story, Moses was showing military 
military and strategic leadership, okay? He wasn't showing loving leadership. He had to gather all, of, God had to gather all the people through Moses, okay? This was a nation of people. Get them to follow him. Confront the Pharaoh, okay? And then God would war against the Pharaoh. This is all military. Then lead them strategically out into the wilderness, follow God's plan, strategically getting to Mount Sinai in a manner that the people would be safe, and he gets them there as a military and strategic leader. That's what God needed. But from this point forward, he was going to need a different, God needed a different leader. God needed one that would lead with a heart. God needed a leader that would love the people. Because the people needed a change of heart. And you can't, a, a strong leader cannot change the people's hearts if he does not love the people. Right? These people were to be holy in character, but God describes them as stiff-necked. Do you see why they needed a change of heart? And God needed Moses to be that character, to be that person. So thankfully, Moses stayed on the mountain, and Scripture states that the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. But in what sense did God change? It brings us all the way back down to that, around to that. Well, from God's perspective, nothing changed. He's still true to the covenant. He still has his people. He's still keeping his promises to Abraham. From Moses' perspective, God changed his mind, didn't he? Do you see what I mean by in what sense does God change? Now, God doesn't change in character, okay? But God does change his mind. In this, in this certain portion of Scripture, I don't believe he changed his mind, okay? But what do I mean by God changes his mind? Well, if you read other Scriptures, God always gives an if, right? If you repent and change your ways, then I will relent and not destroy. I will not do this. So if you do A, then I'll do this. And if, I, if you do this, I'll do that. Okay? That's a change of mind because we changed. All right? Furthermore, this is very important to understand okay? theologically. All right? And this is very difficult to communicate right now. Um, the, the very reason, the very fact remains that when God enters into a relationship, okay, um, causes him to have to change. Does that make sense? Because, because he freely enters into that relationship. Now, if God knows every little thing about you, every little motion, everything that you're going to do, okay, there's no room for change. That's not a very fair relationship. But because God is a God of relationship and he chose to enter into a relationship with us, it makes him vulnerable to change. Does that make sense? How about this one? God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. Okay, but does he have to exercise that at all times in order to be God? No. God chose to enter into relationship with you, and because of that, God has made, him vul made himself vulnerable to certain things, like being hurt by you, by being hurt to your actions. God now has to make decisions based upon your actions. If we were not in the picture, and if we didn't have a God of, of relationship, then that wouldn't matter. But because we have a God of relationship, he makes himself voluntarily vulnerable to things that happen in existence. That's a hard thing to grasp because a lot of people are like, God must be sovereign and high, at all, and, high and lifted up at all times in order to be God. Does he? Because if he is so high and lifted up, 
and so out of reach, then he has nothing to do with you. But God decided to send his son, Jesus Christ, right? And make himself vulnerable, so vulnerable that he would die on the cross. That is the ultimate example right there of a God that has chosen to make himself vulnerable. Is God all-powerful? Yes. But he's chosen not to be. Grasp that fact when you wrestle with these questions of all-powerful, can God change? Can God change his mind? And I want to leave you with something philosophical here, okay? No, before I do that, so can, so can and does God change in a sense, yes, and in another sense, no, okay? Here's the philosophical thing. You cannot say that God can do all things, right? We said God can do all things. He's God, okay? You cannot say God can do all things and then turn around and say God can't do something, like change his mind. That's an inconsistent, logical thought. You're being an, a logical idiot <laughs> at that point right there. God can do all things, but he can't do that. <laughs> all right? You have to be consistent with your thinking. That is so important. Okay? So you always have to consider the context of the scripture and, and let the scripture speak for itself. Don't just read one little thing and develop an entire theology around it that is careless, and you're being careless to the people you come across in life. But more importantly, we're going to end on this. When it comes to this scripture passage, we just looked at, it's all about the heart of Moses, and it turns out that Moses had a heart for God. And that is what God desires for all of you, for you to have a heart for God. Amen? Amen. Amen.